Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there. Hey there, slightly nasally. Well, I'm always nasal. I mean, but particularly nasal given that this is my my uh, hay fever season. So how you doing? It's Monday, a daunting day, September 20, 2021. Yeah, I got that right. I don't know. God. All right, guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking out my window. That's the best part of my day so far because it it looks like such a beautiful day out there. I haven't ventured out yet, but the outdoors nature is my saving grace uh i'm not sure how to start this today you know i i i looked at the front page of the local paper and uh it is it is actually a here, I'm going to pull it up. It is <laughs> – it's no way to start your day. I think papers should go back to being afternoon papers because at least by the afternoon, you know, you developed a little bit of a – I don't know. You're standing. You're, you're, you're aware, awake. Uh, but the first thing to be hit by – the news of the day is really uh, in these times. Uh, it's just a low blow. It's hard. There's not one thing on this front page that doesn't cause angst. There's not a thing on it. There are just two pictures, both of which don't make you happy. One is a picture of all the happy Steeler fans that were at the game yesterday. This was obviously taken before the game ended. <laughs> so that doesn't help. You're reminded if you're a big fan and if you forgot, you wake up in the morning and there's the paper. Ah, oh, jeez. We lost. And then above them is a much more consequential picture. It's of a human being running from three other human beings who are on horseback. And obviously that's up a a power dynamic that doesn't look good for the poor guy running. And he is a Haitian, not in Haiti, but desperately trying to get to this country. He's in the water. And these guys on horseback representing us, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection guys, are trying to keep him from into the country along tens of thousands of, of others. 
I have said before, what the hell does God have against Haitians? How can one people be expected to suffer so? And so any time I see a story like this, where these desperate human beings, desperate from so many things, desperate to be able to live, to have their children live, who can blame them? Some of these people have gone for years from country to country and now make their fun. They're there. There's the United States. There it is. And we're loading them up. We're sticking them on planes. And we're sending them right. I'm not here to argue about what we should with all the desperate people who try come here I don't I don't know I guess we can't take them all but how doesn't it break your heart so if you're in that mob of dealer fans in the one picture and you're still feeling unhappy today, and you look at the picture, the other picture, should maybe put things in perspective (laughs) for you, that what's bothering you is of no consequence. Zero. None. So, you're left feeling... Helpless, powerless, and unhappy. <laughs> what way? You know, I really, why don't they just have newspapers come in the afternoon where you could read them with a drink? I mean it. I really think that that would be a better idea. And one of the other stories is about Children's Hospital here. And to put up a tent outside, right there on, I think, 44th Street in Lawrenceville, there's a tent because they cannot handle the number of children who are being brought in to the facility. The director of pediatric emergency medicine there said it's historic. It's not the kind of history you want to make. It's so historic that this relatively new facility can't handle it. They say they got the nurses and docs. They just don't have the space. And one woman in the article who brought her baby in, was told it would be a four and a half hour wait. Seven and a half hours later, she was still waiting. Can you imagine having a child sick enough that you go to the ER and you can't see and no one sees your sick child for seven and a half hours? 
it's such a large subject, our health care system. But this much can be said about it. It is appallingly screwed up. It literally needs to be blown up. And we need to start over. Because this cobbled together, jerry-rigged, all about money system has totally lost any sense that it is supposedly there for we the people. You know, uh, Mike from from DC, USC, uh, a million other places in between who sometimes calls. He sent me a very long article a long time ago, and I have – I read it, and it was, it was so sobering because it so clearly showed what a disaster healthcare in America is. And it's not about healthcare in America. The article is not about that. It's actually about healthcare in a Central American nation, Costa Rica. And this article was in New Yorker magazine. And it is so astonishing. Because it explains how, even though we are the richest, supposedly, I guess, are we still the richest? That's the one thing we got. We got money. Big deal. We got money. What do we do with the money? We give it all to the people who already have all the money. As for the people who need money or what money can buy, we don't care about them. Life expectancy is a pretty good indicator of how wealthy a country is. Generally speaking, you would consider that wealthier nations uh, have people who get to live longer lives. Well, I got news for you. That doesn't hold true when you look at us. And it doesn't hold true when you look at Costa Rica. A long life, better you live in Costa Rica than in the United States of America. You know, the article points out that, like, I mean, just in my lifetime, Costa Rica has seen a turnaround, a total turnaround in their life expectancy. In the 1950s, that's my lifetime, in the 1950s, 
the life expectancy of a child born in Costa Rica was 55 years. In the United States, a lucky child born could expect to live that and then 13 more years on top of it. So right off the bat, a baby in the United States has 13 more years on average to live than a poor child in Costa Rica. Well, that ain't the case anymore. Life expectancy in Costa Rica now is 81 years. Do you know how remarkable it is to go from a life expectancy of 55 to 81? Pretty amazing. And guess what? That's higher than the life expectancy of a child born in this country now. So Costa Rica, with nowhere near the money, has seen an increase, a huge increase in life expectancy. A poor country. While the rich country to the north, the United States of America, has seen a humiliating decline. I don't know exactly what the life expectancy is now, but it's under 79, right? And the difference is Costa Rica made it a priority to care for the people who live in that country. They didn't have all the money, but they figured out how to do it. And it's not based on profit. It has nothing to do with profit. Nothing to do with profit. They're all about from beginning when a child is born, that kid is taken care of. Doesn't cost money. Doesn't cost money because the government decided if a government is here for anything, what's a government here to do? Make sure the people have clean water, clean air, access to vaccinations and food and regular checkups. Proactive, not reactive. In 1970, 7% of children in Costa Rica were dead before their first birthday. 1980, only 2% were. Maternal deaths fell by 80%. It has absolutely the best performance among most nations in this hemisphere, and it is not rich.
it's an article worth reading if you got the time. And it does. It's long. It's long. But it shows how, where there's a will, where there's a priority given to the humans in the equation and not the profit in the equation. It's astonishing. It's astonishing what change, incredible change in people's lives can be created, including giving them more life, much more life to enjoy. We, in so many ways, are, are in need of revolution. And yet, I'll go back to that front page. There are so many structural and there's so much trouble for us to get where we need to be. And that's another story on the front page of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette today. And the headline of it is, Mansion Will Craft Climate Strategy. I am so sick of this man. I am so sick of a system that allows one man elected by a few people in the country to completely control what the vast majority of people in the country want. And he doesn't. Who invested him with this power? Our system. So we have the absurdity, as someone put it, of, well, I would not have said it like this. This is a guy who teaches at Harvard, used to work in the Obama White House, and he says this about Manchin and his power on this issue and pretty much any issue. It says something fascinating about our politics that we are going to have a representative of fossil fuel interests, mansion, crafting the policy that reduces our reliance on fossil fuel. He says it's fascinating. I say it's maddening. Manchin is, he is the chair of the Senate Energy Panel. He's in charge. And 
And as the article, which is a reprint from the New York Times, by the way, points out, Manchin has received more campaign donations from the oil, coal, and gas industries than any other senator. We're talking now. In its current, current, whatever, counts for a fiscal year in this corrupted system. He has received more campaign donations, and understandably, if you were a lobbyist for the for the coal industry or the oil industry, you're damn right you're greasing mansions. What do you grease? Palm. He owns stock as much as $5 million. He doesn't have to say exactly how much, but he put it between one and $5 million for whatever when they ask you. in a coal (laughs) brokerage firm, which he founded in 1988. He's fabulously wealthy. His wealth comes from the very fossil fuels that we know have brought on the climate crisis we're in, and we've got to get a on them, and it is time for not little picky unionish change, but revolutionary change, and we cannot do it. This one man, and he strikes me as not the brightest bulb, is in the way. He's also in the way of almost anything that we need to get done now, anything, right? What's always the problem? I'm so sick of him. Every time I see him, I just, you know, like I can't, it's the way I used to feel about seeing, you know, who the former, Um, and, and it's the way I, I mean, where you literally can't look at a person. And he seems impervious to all of the people who are begging him to do the right thing. I'm always astonished that people, given what so clearly is an extraordinarily consequential moment in world history, not to mention American history, that they wouldn't try to get out in front of it, especially if they had power to do so. Remind me of a headline I saw the other day, something about Biden's legacy. They're saying if he doesn't pass this thing, you know, which Manchin is holding up, I don't remember exactly which thing they were talking about. I think the big budget bill, which Manchin is screwing up. And it says, you know, his legacy is. And I'm thinking, how the hell is a man who hasn't been in office for even 25 percent of his term 
Well, how are you saying his legacy is on the line? You don't have a friggin' clue what's going to happen in the next three years. I'll tell you whose legacy is on the line. Joe Manchin's legacy is on the line. And he's too stupid to know how to go down in history as a hero. Instead of a person who helped bring on the end. God. All right. I'm sorry. This is a Monday. I told you. Don't. They got to start putting these papers out in the afternoon. Uh, Oh, I like this story. No, I didn't. But I mean, it made me. No, it didn't. I was going to say chuckle. No, it didn't. Be an honest reporter here. Um, Turns out that people who own lots of horses are having a real hard time finding a certain drug they need to keep their horses healthy. Anybody want to bet what that drug might be? Normally, no. Right? I wouldn't know about a drug for horses. Like, how would I know that? Uh... They can't find. They can't find any ivermectin in Las Vegas. The tack and feed store there has enacted a new requirement for anyone trying to buy ivermectin, and that is, we ain't selling you any unless you show us a picture of you and your horse. Other places are keeping it, you know, like locked up. Supply store in Plant City, Florida, took it off the shelves, hiding it until they said legitimate customers come. The horse owners need it. In northern Wisconsin, the price of ivermectin has more than doubled. And a lot of the people up there, livestock owners, horse owners, they can't find it. And another woman who owns horses says that she had to get some ivermectin for her horse, and she was embarrassed at her local feed store when she went in and asked for it because she said, all I could think about was people are going to think I'm eating this. I was so embarrassed. She said the cashier smirked at her. So she said, I actually then went out and bought other horse items. So people wouldn't think I was a nut job.
We're too stupid to do anything right. There's too many stupid ones here. And media, I think, without a doubt, inflates their power because media is forever drawn to the loudest voices, the stupid voices, the car crash voices. The, they know that they've got an audience of rubberneckers. So you don't go for comment to a soft-spoken person speaking truth. <laughs> you go, of course, your camera is just pulled for the fool who's making a scene. It's just better copy, better video, better audio. Another indication of just how stupid we are was not that you need any more, but uh, we continue to humiliate ourselves by what's happening with COVID here. The U.S. death rate from COVID over the past two weeks adjusted for population is more than twice as high as Great Britain's, more than seven times as high as Canada's, more than 10 times as high as Germany's. And again, this is the richest country in the world. Money can't buy you smarts. If Mississippi were its own country, it would have one of the world's worst total death tolls per capita. One of the worst in the world. I believe I said the same. Oh, God, a bird just hit my window. Oh, God. He's okay. He's okay. And I've got little decals up, but they've been hitting the windows. He's the second one in the Oh, Jesus. Okay, so, I mean, this is a picture of failure as a nation. It's not Joe Biden's fucking fault. I didn't... um, I think I watched the very beginning of the Emmys last night and then thought, I don't give a shit about this. And so I stopped. And instead I watched the Ken Burns documentary on Muhammad Ali, who is one of my most favorite human beings ever. So I came in a little late, but I've got books on him. I've read everything I've seen every movie, every this and that, because I just so adore 
this human being, Muhammad Ali. And I watched maybe an hour and a half of the first episode, and I recommend it. What an amazing, wondrous character in life. A courageous life. Not a perfect life. Just a wondrous life. I wasn't intending to talk about that. Where did that come from? Oh. So at the Emmys, because I read later today about who won and all that. Cheers. Um, and I saw that this British actress, Michaela Cole, who wrote and uh, starred in a, a series called I May Destroy You. It's about rape, pretty much. It's about sexual, and it's brilliant. It is just flat out brilliant. And I guess she finally got an Emmy for her writing of it. When they could pull away from Ted Lasso and the crown. And I read part of what she said in her acceptance speech. What is it about British actors that so often give such extraordinarily eloquent acceptance speeches? Every once in a while, an American might too, but the Brits, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe they're actually educated as opposed to us. She said this. I dare you. In a world that entices us to browse through the lives of others to help us determine what we feel about ourselves. Right there. Right there. She captures. So many of us spend so much time doing, young people especially, which drives me crazy. They're on social media. They're on their phones. They're scrolling around looking at the lives of others, as she put it, to help determine how they feel about themselves. And I'll go back to her. And she said, and in turn, we feel the need to be constantly visible. For visibility these days seems to somehow equate to success. Huh? How many likes did you get? How many clicks did you get? Thumbs up? Did you? How many? How many listeners do you have? How many viewers? People seeing you? People hearing you? People see your picture? Are you out there on all these Instagram TikToks and all this kind of stuff? How you doing? Because you're successful if you're visible. 
doesn't matter what you did or are doing to be visible. And this is why, you know, media, again, back to media, chasing the car wrecks of humanity. And then she said, it's her challenge. This is why she said, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid, she said, to disappear. To disappear from it, from us, for a while, and see what comes to you in the silence. But you know what? You do have to dare people because most people are too afraid of silence. I've never understood that myself. I I relish it. I revel in it. I'm a person who you could seal up in some, you know, soundproof capsule with no sensory input. Just make sure it's comfortable, right? Put me in a comfortable position. Put me in there, and I'm in heaven. I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm going to be left with my own thoughts. And that is what is so frightening to so many people. I guess. And I don't know if you could hear it while I was talking about silence. A leaf blower. Neighbor's yard. And I live in a city, so I'm close to my neighbor. And I, as you know, hate them. I don't own them. I own brooms and rakes. Uh, that's what people used to use if they wanted to tidy up the outdoors. But to find silence, if you live in a city, is almost impossible. And when I say silence, I am not saying, you know, you got to shut the birds up or something. No, the real sounds of the world, natural sounds, are so wondrous. But where do you ever hear that? Right now I'm hearing a leaf blower. At the leaf blower, I'll hear cars, traffic. Humans. And then there's all those people who absolutely have to have a constant, right? Cacophony. They've got to have the television on. They've got to have the radio on. They have to have music on. They get in the car and then they have to talk. They have to be on phones. What is this constant? I'm always amazed. I'm sorry I'm going on this riff because I, I just, I'll never understand it. When I see somebody walking their dog or walking their baby in a stroller and they're on their phone 
and they're yak, 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 yakking. I love walking my dog because it's this quiet time with just my dog. I get to see things. I get to hear things. <laughs> Why can't people just be with themselves? I, you know, when I when I'm driving and I see people on their phones constantly, yap yap yap. I think I think what is everybody talking about? And this is from a woman who right now is yapping, right? But I talk for a living. I've always talked for a living. As soon as the show's over, silence, blessed silence. There, there are very few places to find silence uh, for a lot of people in the world. And mostly for those living, you know, on top of each other in cities. They'll never, ever hear it again. And I'm convinced it is part of a healthy human. Because constant noise makes stress hormones, blood pressure goes up. And why I hate it mostly is because of the distraction, the relentless distraction that keeps us from noticing our very selves, our lives, what's happening right now. And I think for a lot of people who never get around to having these quiet moments, they never really process the things that are going on in their lives. They don't allow themselves times to be thoughtful. And I'm not talking about, oh, it was so thoughtful of you to bring me this gift. Uh, To sit with your thoughts and to think. I think the increasing unwillingness and inability of people to have silence or to be comfortable in silence is a huge loss. And I don't know that we're ever going to be able to turn that around. I read a piece by a, she's a minister. And she's saying one of the things she thought that churches should always do, and they weren't doing it anymore, sitting there at the phone, doing it anymore, is that, uh, and by the way, that is a complete, whoever that is, is not somebody I want to talk to. Why do I even have that goddamn phone? 
And then the disembodied voice can't leave a message. And of course they don't because it's okay. I'm sorry. She talks about the fact that churches often have their doors open. I mean, unlocked. And it's something I know when I lived in New York City, one of the noisiest places I've ever lived. And I would crave silence. I often went into a church. It didn't matter what kind of church. I'd just try the door, and usually they were open, but this is back in the 70s. I'd find a church, and I'd go in, and so often. And she says, you know, this is disappearing because of COVID and stuff. Churches are locking their doors. We we just need silence. So bird hit your window. I heard you say you have decals up. Unless they are on the outside and space precisely, they will not help. But they have helped. I used to have, I have a row of ceiling to floor windows in my back. My back is, my back wall of my house is a window, is glass. And I've been here for decades and I've pretty much uh, solved the problem. But all of a sudden, the last few days, I'm having birds hitting and I'm, they are on the outside. Well, I'll have to look. It could be that after a while they lose their, I don't know. Um, oh, don't tell me this, Gigi, please. People often think that the bird's okay because they fly off, but we have found through research that many of these birds die later from internal injuries. Uh, it was a beautiful little guy. He had a yellow, just look, oh God. Anyway, well, okay, thank you for that. Just another thing to be upset about. Aaron writes, don't forget that mansion, that awful man also gifted the world with a vile daughter of his, Heather Bresch. Uh-huh. She was the CEO of Mylan, who jacked up the price of EpiPens that people need to keep themselves from dying if they go into anaphylactic. Remember that? That's his daughter. Nice family. Great people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a it's so often the case. I do have something more uplifting. Unfortunately, it's an obituary. Why is that so often true? Because you see a life well lived. And I feel particularly unhappy about not being able to share more about this woman's life with you because I knew her. 
I didn't know her well. I'm looking at her picture and yeah, that is, that's her. That's my memory. And this is a woman who, again, I don't know her that well. I worked with her or worked in the same place with her. I don't even recall. And this would be television because she was a television producer here. And I worked on, if I didn't work with her, I certainly knew her. And her name, when I was looking through the obits today, looking for something that would make me feel better, I saw a name that rang a bell and I looked and yes, Donna Tabor. And I'll share this life with you as the obit shares it. She deserves a much bigger obit. This is, you know, the family put this out. And the Post-Gazette needs to jump on this and have one of those big stories. I'm sure they have they had to have written about her in the past, given what she did with her life. Okay, so she she's died. Donna died at 81 just uh, three days ago. It says here she worked for 26 years as a television producer, and that is how I knew her. But then, when she got done doing that, someone do the math for me here. She died at 81 in 2021, but she joined the Peace Corps in 1998. How old was she in 1998? I'm just asking because that is the age at which she, who'd had this full life as a television producer, said, I'm going to go do something that matters. And so in 1998, she joined the Peace Corps. And and then she became a a volunteer for a group called Building New Hope in Grenada, Nicaragua. And that is where she stayed. She dedicated the rest of her life to helping kids who were at risk down there. She built a school and a residence for poor children. She, she had a highly regarded restaurant and culinary arts workshop that she organized and it was run. She had, teenagers in teenagers who ran it she created the first lending library that the town had ever had she created scholarships 
and mentored young adults. She created a veterinary clinic for street animals and a fair trade partnership between this group, Building New Hope, and a worker-owned coffee co-op. She brought Nicaraguan children back here to the U.S. for donated medical care. In the words of someone who knew her well, Donna worked selflessly, relentlessly, and enthusiastically to better the lives of poor people and innocent animals. I remember someone telling me that she had done this and that she was in Nicaragua, and I thought, what? I mean, I, I, I never knew anybody with such courage. She received a lot of acclaim. She was one of six to receive the first national award of citizen diplomacy in Washington, D.C. She won some TV awards. She had some golden quills. I want more. That's all I get from this little obit. And there's a picture of her smiling and she's in a classroom with these two little guys, two little children that she's obviously helped. And one of them is one of them is sort of being playful with her. What a wondrous woman. What a wondrous woman. I mean, I always, don't you feel humbled when when you come upon a life like that? Wow. All righty. Listen, I want to read you something from uh, the Constitution of the state of Alabama. Okay? Can you take it? Maybe not. Better sit down. This is in the Constitution of the state of Alabama. It was written in 1901. They rewrote it in 1901, and it hasn't been uh, toyed with since. Well, they're quite clear, actually. Uh, Well, here's what was said when they did it. John Knox, the president of the Constitutional Convention that created this incredible uh, document, which was then ratified by the good voters of the state of uh, Alabama. And given it was 1901, that would mean white men, right? Women couldn't vote. Black people sure as hell couldn't vote. So this was ratified by the white guys down there in Alabama, and it was the it explicitly states that the Constitution of Alabama establishes white supremacy in this state. 
no very straightforward there established white supremacy in this state and the guy who headed the convention said the new constitution eliminates the ignorant negro vote and places the control of our government where god almighty intended it should be with the anglo-saxon race this constitution still has in it that schools should be segregated It flat out says, Section 256, there shall be separate schools for white and colored children, and no child of either race shall be permitted to attend a school of the other race. Uh-huh. That's still in there, in their Constitution. Also, uh, the legislature shall never pass any law to authorize or legalize any marriage between any white person and a Negro or descendant of a Negro. It's weird. Throughout this thing, black people are called Negroes, colored, ignorant. So guess what? They're trying to finally redo this, and we'll see. I don't know. The state, they have to ratify it again. I don't know. Now the black people can vote. And there is an effort to get some of this uh, stuff that is clearly unconstitutional um, out of it. But wow. I mean, my God. You wonder why some of these states haven't taken down all those monuments to uh, traitors and white supremacists. Uh, They've got constitutions that flat out say, I can't, oh, God, God, I live in these places. Uh, here's some good news, Melinda, okay? Yeah. Uh, Governor of Texas, at creep, Abbott, guess what? Polls show even Texans are getting sick of him. His approval rating is down to 45%. 54% of Texans say the state's heading in the wrong direction. I could have told them that a long time ago. Before the uh, pandemic, his rating was 60%. So, man, this guy, with his fine handling of every crisis that has come since, <laughs> with his policies to kill as many Texans as he possibly can, especially those who voted for him. And then, of course, his abortion ban. The fact that you can carry, I think at birth, a child in Texas is given a gun, which they're supposed to keep in their diaper. Uh, And here, this doesn't bode well for the future. You think, oh, good, because I heard Beto O'Rourke is planning on running against him, running for governor. And the polls show, same poll. 
shows Beto is within six points. He's beneath him. Abbott still asked today, a Texan, would you vote for Beto O'Rourke or, or this creep? They still go with the creep. But that suggests that you don't know the other guy who apparently says he's going to run. And he's showing a lot more support than Beto O'Rourke. Are you aware of who says he's running for Texas governor? <sighs> Matthew McConaughey, the actor. Yep. Matthew McConaughey is nine points ahead of Abbott at this point. <laughs> now, I should say that neither O'Rourke nor McConaughey has officially gotten into the fray, but uh, they're both being talked up. <laughs> Okie doke. I'm sorry. I missed a caller. I didn't see that. Forgive me. Why Why doesn't that get onto my... Okay, whatever. Um, okay, guys, that's it. Sorry. Susan will be by tomorrow. Maybe she's got something lighter. <laughs> I don't know. God help us. Good luck. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers. <laughs>